Welcome, friends, to another episode of Wampa Radio. This is number 19, a bunch of X's and V's and I's and L's. And Are we at L's yet for... No. What that's is like L- 50, isn't it? Is L 50 or is it... What, what, isn't there one for 40? I think, L is, I think L is 50 in Roman numerals. Hold on. I'm this pretty sure before. L is 50, yes. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Because well, it was a pretty big deal with the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's how I know it. Right. <laughs> Super Bowl XL. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're Americans, 50, 50, so yeah. everything we do for Roman numerals is based around Super Bowls. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, um, we're gonna. It's, it's gonna be a while before we get to M for Super Bowls because that's one thousand. Now we're not quite there yet, but we, we are get the Super Bowl one thousand someday. I mean, by then the the league will be like it's the. It's the Jupiter Ascenders versus the... the Actually, I can Jupiter tell you who's going to win oh, no. Super Bowl M, and the winner is going to be climate change. <laughs> <laughs> I think the winner is going to be uh, like uh, too many concussions for players, and they're going to just shut the whole game down by then. I don't think football is going to exist by that point. That's a good question. It might be. That or it'll all happen in people's minds. It's like... It's like a mind they, football. There's just two people sitting like literally it's going to be two people sitting across from each other like this. And then within like three seconds, somebody's going to be like, whoo, good game. Good game, man. <laughs> and then just concede. There's a trio of esports casters here. It'll just be Madden in the future. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that. See, OK, so as, as a longtime esports person, like I I'm not a big fan of the games that have real life counterparts right like i get racing because not everyone can afford to like you know drive an f1 car obviously but mm-hmm. as far as like basketball football soccer and things go like those actually exist so for me those are a lot less interesting to watch because i know i can just watch the real thing you know whereas like there's no real life equivalent to like starcraft or league of legends or something but like Madden and 2K and all that. I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, there's also like, to be fair, though, like there's a skill, but there there's a really big crowd of folks that are into games like Counter-Strike. And there's definitely real life equivalents (laughs) of that. Yeah. Again, again, we wouldn't count that because that involves like loss of human life. Right. So like I'm not including that kind of thing. Uh, Or or F1 racing. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying sometimes it's actually probably cheaper for me to enlist in the army than it is to get a PS5. So like I'm just going to say it's free. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. It makes it makes complete sense to do it, but uh, uh, not not any time yet. All this to say, would you ever uh, consider being a uh, a Mountie Flake? Oh, um, the hat is cool. Like the uniform. Yeah, well, we do have standard police. the The Mountie thing is like. The, the, oh, I thought they were all Mounties. No, we're not all Mounties. Even though, like, <laughs> we have to like sniff out crime and go find it. Like to us, the Mounties are the the equivalent of what like the the British Royal Guard soldiers with the gigantic like buffalo hats are. Oh, that, I thought they were still functional to a certain. No, extent. they're just they're more so ceremonial. Like we have oh. standard police forces and whatnot. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police are more hmm. so like a. A state police, but the, those uniforms, they don't wear them. Those are like ceremonial style uniforms. Like you don't, you, you don't go I, down walking through the streets of like London drunk off your ass after a night of pubs and, and get arrested by a dude with a five foot furry hat. That looks I mean, like, if you try to get I mean, into the castle, you might. Well, don't do that. If you did, then I, I would say AMAB, but let's instead say <laughs> Star Wars. Do you remember when we were I was trying. I was trying. I was trying. I was trying. We do need the pack button, but we do have a release date for when those packs are coming, which is going to be March 8th. We'll get to that. But all, all right. this to say, welcome to Wampa Radio, episode number 18. 
19. Right. Oh it's my 19. god. I missed 18. I don't know what number it is. I, I missed 18. That's why. I missed 18. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, guess what? Uh, we're going to continue to dig into the headline strategies, all things you want to know about Star Wars card gaming uh, with a strong focus on Star Wars Unlimited, obviously. Um, and, you know, that is if we don't get completely sidetracked by any number of different things. I've been away for a while, so I have a lot of sidetracking to catch up on. I'm just saying. All right. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, we're going to start with the thing we always start with, which is the Wampa Cave Pole of the Week. Okay. So the Wampa Cave Pole of the Week is one. First of all, I heard you guys last week. You're like, why did, Why is it not Darth Maul? Maul is what he went by, like, in post uh post episode one when he renounced like the sith and whatever oh. right so he oh. was just known as maul that's why i portrayed him as when he got his cool new legs i assumed he wasn't born darth maul uh no so that that makes sense that he'd go back to being maul but doesn't he have any other any other names his, you know? his name is like maul gregory isn't, benjamin smith or something something weird isn't his uh isn't his brother named like something like savage oppress or something like that <laughs> You're not, you're not far off. Um, I yeah, right. I think it is. I think it is like pronounced Savage or whatever. But I'm like, come on. Um, Are we really? It it is. Uh, it, it is hard. spelled like Savage. Like you're not yeah. wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was pronounced Savage. <laughs> it's, but if, it's but if his name was Oppress, then that would mean Maul has to be Maul Oppress, right? Oh so yeah. Well, is he the Macho Maul, Randy Savage? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he's. Oh he's yeah, a, brother! <laughs> I've got you in the Death Star for three minutes. <laughs> yep. Until the then, it's gonna explode. So you better get up. Always there. rises <laughs> to the top. Yeah, brother. Oh god, yeah. I I would love like alternate arts, but they're all just wrestling. It's just it's just them giving promos and stuff. Like that's what uh -huh. we need to get. Maybe maybe this is it. Maybe FFG is finally gonna buy into this big wrestling fantasy i have where they'll do events wrestling style where you'll they'll have managers and people will come out and and it's just like you know it's the macho mall and then i mean hey korea did that kind of thing in uh in starcraft they that were like players like literally cut promos where they would like uh trash talk the other guys something like that i remember and they would have uh they would have if i can digress for a second my first digression of the episode digress my friend second, second third maybe actually but anyway uh they would have like player selection shows where the higher ranked players would get to pick what players faced them in their group when they went to like playoffs and things. And there's a player named MC who played Protoss. And he, uh, when he came on stage to make his picks, he came in dressed as the undertaker, like dragging a coffin behind him. And he pulled the coffin up into the player he was going to pick and dropped it in front of him and pointed at him. <laughs> and like, so they would do things like that in Korean Starcraft. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, let's bring it back. Korean Starcraft's last name is Savage. That's what it is. Korean oh Starcraft is amazing. There's be... another one. A, well, a player we... uh, that Starcraft celebrations are a whole another podcast we could do. We could do hours yeah. on that. Yeah. I was just about to say we have the ability to set the trend, gentlemen. The next time yeah. that we are graced with a card reveal, if it's character based or maybe they'll be kind enough to give us all you know a, a group of characters or at least two we can do some like fake promos me. like we'll cut promos of them against each other oh we'll do yeah. it we'll do, do it. it are you listening Fans to us play. ffg we like will... give us like give mm -hmm. give us anakin and obi-wan so that we can cut the promos oh. and throw in the the high ground and the, we've the seen full... the 
the Obi-Wan already. Or do you mean when like, no, like, the, if, if yeah, they do, like, like when we get the prequel someday. stuff, like that's oh, what I want. Okay, I yeah, want, yeah. I want Obi-Wan talking about stealing Padme and having the high ground and we'll Whoa. cut promos. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> okay. You creatures. You're no brother of mine, Anakin. <laughs> So there was a Kawampa cave poll. Again, you can yep. go to at Wampa Radio uh, to see yep. the cave poll of the week that goes up on Sunday. I got it on time this time. I actually think I published it while I was on an airplane, which was uh, wow. near there. But I'm glad uh, the plane didn't crash. No, I, you're right. It was uh, well, I wasn't flying it, but okay. Uh, uh, Never fly in text. Yeah. The the question this week was: Which of these dangerous Star Wars creatures do you most want to see next in Star Wars Unlimited? The options were the Sarlacc, which has a lot of significance these days. Book of Boba Fett, the Sarlacc. It got some special edition redux. It got a beak. That's pretty cool, right? Um, beak. It got a beak in the special edition remake. What? You didn't no, see didn't. that? Yes, it did. Yeah. No, it yeah. didn't. It did indeed. No. It's not just a pit oh, full the, of spikes. Oh, for, I was thinking of the Rancor. You meant the oh. Sarlacc. Yeah, no, the no, Sarlacc no. totally did. Yeah, that was yeah. an interesting design choice, but. Anyway, yeah. Second one was Rancor for a second. Well, the second one is the Rancor, which again got a lot more um, airtime, I suppose, with the with the Book of Boba Fett. But we know the Rancor as being from Jabba's palace in that pit. There was the Crate Dragon, again getting a lot of airtime from the Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett feels to me like technically was it the Mandalorian? I think it was the Mandalorian where they fought the Crate Dragon. Yeah, no, that was it. Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh. Okay, but same planet. Sure. So similar armor. And last but not least, well, this one actually is, I guess, solved. But it's the Wampa. <laughs> the Wampa uh, yeah. was the other option for us. Mm. All ferocious beasts. All very yeah. hungry, um, aggressive, th- on on theme for what we're, we're going to talk about. But mm. what did you select, Charmer? Which was your vote? I. This is going to come as a shock, but I voted for the Porgs. That you it's can't not, have not voted. Not. Yeah, you're right. No, it was the Wampa. Of course, I picked the oh. Wampa. Right? Like we're we're Wampa Radio. I gotta I gotta be a homer. Gotta vote for the home team. Mm-hmm. But now that we, you know, know that we have it, I would like to offer Porgs in that fourth slot. Uh, I would also like to pitch the Rancor should be an upgrade card for Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Or like the Rancor is something that like he can, he can ride on or something. He can like buff it somehow, you know? Yeah. He needs to be a vehicle because you can ride it. But then I should still, yeah. because he's a vehicle, be allowed to equip hardpoint blasters to my Rancor and live out <laughs> a harpoon. Like, my kaiju dream. Mechagodzilla. Go tall Boba Fett Rancor rider deck where it's just like the <laughs> Rancor, Boba Fett, his weapon. Like you strap like blasters the sides of the Rancor or something. Oh. Give it steroids. I don't know. You you could do something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we're getting a little, a little too. I mean, th- it's funny because we're we're all having these ideas within the within the context within the reality sphere of Star Wars. But even for me, I'm like, that's a little too far fetched over here. Hold on a second. But then, I mean, yeah. that's what I thought about Book of Boba Fett, but that <laughs> happened. That yeah. did happen. Um, what did you vote for? Or uh, hey, you were a conscientious I, objector for voting on these things for a few weeks in a row. So okay, so I have I have done a poor job of voting on the cave polls, but I did vote in this one, and I voted for the rancor because to me, like it's just and and only because my favorite choice wasn't there. But uh, the rancor is my second favorite choice. I'll reveal my first one in a moment. But for now, the rancor to me was like 
one of the coolest monsters of the uh, the original trilogy, right? The fight with Luke was very exciting, yeah. very intense. And then, uh, and you learn this, there's this tragic backstory behind the Rancor as well that you learn from sources like the Decipher Star Wars customizable yeah. card game, where you find out that uh, um, the guy who was kind of raising the Rancor Malachi. was planning on, uh, uh, yeah, was planning on stealing it from Jabba's palace and going and taking it, releasing it off into the wild in its home planet again. And unfortunately, Luke offed it before that could happen so there's a tragic backstory to the rancor actually so it pulls in my heartstrings but if it was there the monster i really want to see in uh, star wars unlimited is the diagna the uh, the monster in the trash compactor in new hope because man when i was a kid that thing freaked me out like uh, the the rancor is just cool scary that diagna is just like scary scary like you can't see where it is it's these tentacle things we don't really know what it looks like in the movie because we just see an eye on a stock and then some tentacles like to me as a child watching that that was much more traumatizing so that had a bigger effect on me i think so that would be my choice if it were available well but i hope I, we see it in the game at some point that was the option instead of mm -hmm. the crate dragon and then i changed oh. it because in my head i was like i feel like we don't know enough about the Dianoga because it lives in it lives in filth like that's basically all it is. What more do you need to know? Well, I guess I mean the the crate dragon actually had a little bit more a presence that got flushed out. It's a more recent to, presence. Correct. Yeah, yeah but yeah. but that was the again that we are limited to the fact that there's only four options on these things, and I couldn't I couldn't take out the rancor, I couldn't take out the wampa, and I felt like the sarlacc was pretty iconic as well. Yeah. There was a whole opening of of you know the big the that's where the demise of the huts were so i figured that was good but the dianoga itself was pretty pretty high up on the list and i thought it, i like you like you uh, doa was very terrified of that stupid little eyeball thing because of the how ominous it was and it lived yeah. in liquid garbage like it's just yeah gross. yeah i like, will say just real quick i know that we all have very strong opinions about uh seven eight and nine from my perspective as a parent who has young boys who watch Star Wars and whatever, uh, both of them were pretty freaked out by the Rastars, and I do think they have a pretty cool design. So, like, that is something positive I can say about Force Awakens. So the Rastars, the, uh, the ball were. things that, like, uh, oh, Han yeah, and yeah, Dewey, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my boys were, like, kind of freaked out by those things. So They, they are freaky monsters. And that I just absolutely think, necessary scene that the movie just could not have done without. No, yeah. could not have. Yeah, you know what? Still good monster monster design, though. I'll say that. Yeah, like, I, it, it worked for my boys. That that's the important bit. So, all right. Well, here are the results, my friends. I voted for the Wampa again because I got to be a home team supporter. Though I would have actually voted for the Dianoga, Me mainly oh. because I would have been mm -hmm. very fascinated in how they did it the other thing is that i believe that the sarlacc might actually be a base because it's it's like hubbed in a location like the sarlacc pit might oh, the be Sarlacc pit yeah oh yeah. i like that i thought that that might actually Ooh. if it would be turned into huh. a card it could potentially out of all of them i feel like that could be a base whereas again the trash compactor mm -hmm. on the death star could be a potential base Dude. as well i got i got it yeah the sarlacc is a base and uh you make the epic event uh defeat one of your units to defeat uh or defeat one of your ground units to defeat one of your opponent's ground units as well Ooh. so it's like your guy is falling in but dragging theirs with him that's pretty cool yeah. i like that idea there you go that one's free fantasy flight games 
They're going to change it. They're going to call it the Barlack Pit. Bar- I don't think that, I don't think Lucasfilm would let them do that. But I like the idea of the Sarlacc Pit being a location. Like that's a or a base rather. That's that's great. Yeah, I like that. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be cool. So here are the results. In first place at forty two point one percent is the Rancor. So what you wanted, and I think that that's. I think that's fair. I think the Rancor is. Um, it's a very scary monster, and I. I- would have voted for that if there was no wampa and no home team advantage here i would have voted for the rancor i have very very fond memories of playing star wars galaxies the mmo like pre-world of warcraft days when the game was still good oh yeah and the like beast handler beast master whatever class you could have two pet rancors following you around Mm -hmm. and i had so much fun with that so i would have easily voted for the rancor if wampa wasn't on there did you I was them? a bioengineer in that game, by the way. Oh, I, yeah. I was one of the few that grinded <laughs> all the way to bioengineer. And I had a shop between Moss Espa and Jabba's Palace out in the desert that just sold uh, bioengineered creatures because they were more powerful than the ones you could tame. Yep. And then you could, anyone could use creatures in that game. That game was amazing. All right. Well, that's another conversation well, we're going to have. I, yeah, I can talk about that point. game for yeah. so long. I just I like love that game. how you played really that fun. game and you grinded to become a bio a bioengineer. You don't understand, Flake. That was, one, that was yeah. the sure. best thing about that game but, was the non-combat yeah. classes. You it. could literally be a mayor of a city that's and your entire saying. job is to build a player city. I just feel yeah. like the amount of hours, it's like, what did you do? I just, I just grinded 200 hours of of uh, no. Star Wars Galaxies, and now I am a certified uh, Star Wars tax accountant within this uh, galaxy, uh, so yeah. I can I can save you on all this. Is that a deductible over there? Is that a deductible? No, that's a Jawa. It's okay, no problem. But you can, all that scrap, that's all deductible. And you just go walking around, like, solving people's tax crises. Uh, that's, like, that, again, I'm not an RPG player, so it I, I get it, though. I understand. You want to hear the best part, you the best part of all of this? Yes. I put hundreds of hours into engineering in this game at the same time i was going to college for art <laughs> so there you go there's some there's some life choices for you right there <laughs> yeah. oh man i can yep. do your taxes but only on alderaan which yep. no longer exists so I, my whole degree time, is useless at the time i was going to college because i wanted to get into law enforcement and my classes were the uh, the tamer, right? The beastmaster. I forget the exact name, but animal handler, whatever. Um, and you could usually carry two primary classes. And my second one was bounty mm-hmm. hunter, because in that game, I still think it was one of the coolest things ever. Um, you could get bounty hunter missions, but players could literally put their own money into a terminal to put a bounty on other players. Yeah. So I would spend all day long exacting vengeance for like real players because they would put a bounty into the system, and I'm. Dude. Yeah, I I love that game so much. It's that in its original form. In its um, original form with the ham combat system. That's right. Yep. Yep. Mm. It's it's uh, one of the worst base questing systems ever made in a in a video game. But the social part of that game was probably the best ever made in a video game. Yeah, the social design was fantastic. There was Mm. no like. Just to give you an idea of like you didn't like raid for loot, you raided for components and then you had yeah. to take them to an actual person to craft anything that was worth your while. That's why people yeah. like Doa ground for hundreds of hours because you needed them. Otherwise, there was no end game equipment or creatures or consumables. There was no like, oh, it dropped a lightsaber. No, you got like a crate Dragon Pearl from the raid and then you put mm-hmm. that into a lightsaber hilt so on and so forth like it every was... item in the game was made by another player 
which which is incredible. The the economy was a very living breathing thing. You went out and like you were in combat and stuff like that. You would take permanent damage to like your health and stamina and stuff that could only be removed by players who were either the doctor or like dancer professionals for like the mind. Yep. Yeah, because so you, you needed pools. players to heal. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. In second place. <laughs> <laughs> The Wampa at 30.3%, which makes sense. I don't know how many of those votes were influenced by the fact that people like the show. I don't care. It should have been first place. But second place, the Crate Dragon at 22.4%. Last place was the Sarlacc by a landslide, like way <laughs> far behind at 5.3%. And I don't know where the Sarlacc hate comes from. I don't know if it's because it got redesigned to have a beak. I don't know if it got if it's because... Boba Fett made it out of there and people kind of trace back how their hatred of Boba Fett goes back to the Sarlacc pit. Like that's ground zero for their, their, for For their big fans of Boba Fett and they're tired of hearing about, he should have stayed in the Sarlacc pit. Maybe he should have stayed in the Sarlacc pit, but the, the Sarlacc had the best death of any monster in star Wars. I mean, yeah, the Rancor got the door dropped on it and all that, but like the Sarlacc actually, uh, you know, Boba Fett dropped one of those big, like, uh, you know, base mines into its uh, mouth yeah that's which is i was like all right that's that's kind of cool that is cool (laughs) funny throwback yeah it just it's like the sarlacc didn't ask for that like they just like a whole bunch of people showed up okay with like music blaring it's like a whole bunch of people show up with their cars at in the middle of the in the middle of the day start blaring their music the dude's like wakes up like what the fuck and then there's a firefight that happens and it's not like the sarlacc was like okay drop them in if they just fucking threw themselves in it's and then it's not a victim here what is he supposed to do what is the sarlacc supposed to do and then at the end of it Boba Fett gets out of there, and the Sarlacc's probably like, "I couldn't digest that, anyways." Thank God. And then the and then Boba Fett shows back up is with like this gigantic vengeance. Yeah, why do you do that? Like, just it's like, not its fault. He got out. Yeah. Isn't that enough? It, yeah, the Sarlacc. Like, why does he hate the Sarlacc so much? It was just there, and it's, he, it's not the Sarlacc's fault he fell in. That's a good point, right? The Sarlacc is the most tragic. I thought the Rancor was the most tragic monster backstory death in Star Wars, but maybe it's actually the Sarlacc. It might actually be like literally. Yeah, it's a, a whole bunch of a-holes just decide it's like it's like going to the zoo and having a gigantic cookout on top of like the crocodile pit and if somebody gets drunk and falls in then you like you just you euthanize the the alligator that ate it it's not the alligator's fault okay i I just think anyways yeah that is i don't know who i'm mad at more boba fett is the star wars equivalent of a toddler that fell into the gorilla enclosure at a zoo and is the Sarlacc, the Sarlacc Harambe? Oh, the, no. the Sarlacc had to be Sarambe. put down. Yeah. <laughs> Sarambe. <laughs> Tentacles out for Sarambe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's the equivalent that I can kind of align here, right? It kind of makes sense. Yeah. All right. Wow. So there it is. There's the cave pole. Cave poles every Sunday. Was go- it? it was one hell of a ride. Yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> we got there. Hey. We have fun. That's what this show's about. So you can go to at Wamper Radio and check out and uh, contribute to each week's cave poll. New ones every Sunday. Headlines, boyos. A lot going on this week. Uh, release date, I think, is probably the biggest hunk of cheese that we can chew on right here. 
Yeah, we chatted about it a little bit last week because they announced it like the day we recorded. So we got that in there just in time. But yeah, I mean, that's exciting. You didn't get a chance to talk about it. So I want to hear about your thoughts on this because uh, it's coming. I think it's coming a little bit earlier than we expected. Maybe I was hoping for end of this year, but early March is not that bad, really. It's not that bad, not to mention on this, the FFG stream, uh, which we'll talk about right after this, I believe, I think it was... uh, Danny Schaefer, Papa Schaefer, Daddy. Daddy Schaefer, um, mentioned that it might even be a little bit sooner with the pre-release shenanigans that will go along. So mm. I think he alluded yeah. to like late February, possibly like that weekend into. So we might actually be able to play meaningful Star Wars Unlimited bust packs and have a good time last weekend of February into. Um, there, but uh, like my initial cool. thoughts. If you guys talked about it next, next week, we'll just go. We'll, we'll cruise past it. I think that this is when I suspected it would be. My suspicion was that it was going to be late Q1, and this probably slots in right there. And I think that's fair because this leaves a, enough time for um, a, a, an OP season to to get kicked off and have those yeah. those wheels turning. Yeah. I and think. Like, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think in an earlier episode, Flake, I had posited that my my prediction was late February because of the cadence that they were doing their live streams. I remember doing the math once. So it looks like we weren't too far off. But I, I wanted to just say, if FFG wants to uh, give us a Valentine's Day present, right, and maybe a couple weeks early, have us out for a date, I'm down. We'll see what we can do. Be my Valentine, please. Uh, we we'll can, uh, we'll clean up how we, we present that to, to them. them. Yeah. <laughs> would, would you like to date us? Fantasy flight games. <laughs> We're adorable. That's, uh, that's not gonna work. You don't think it's gonna work? Okay. I would love to. I I hope I hope it is true that we get to play a little Star Wars Unlimited limited. Uh, you know, in February, because that would, I mean, that would make sense because a lot of pre-releases are a week or two before the actual release. So actually getting your hands on cards and getting to play some games, um, hey, the sooner the better. Agreed. So the FFG stream that happened, I believe, today, today being the 11th of October when we're recording this at about 8 p.m. Eastern time, was about aggression. So it was Josh Massey, Papa Schaefer, Papa Schaefs was there as well as Tyler Parrott, the senior uh, senior game designer. And the funniest part about this, which I told you guys, I said, hey, when you guys watch the VOD, just keep an eye out for this. Because when Josh was introducing the panel, as he normally does so, so wonderfully, he made sure to uh, clarify that it is Danny Schaefer and not Daddy Schaefer, which, again, um, if ever... You know, Doa, Charmer, if you guys ever want to know that we're making waves in this community, it's the fact that that one time that you thought I said Daddy Schaefer, uh, it is now a thing. <laughs> that, now. Yeah, so uh, Daddy Schaefer is now where it's at. But the coolest part about this panel, frankly, mm-hmm. besides seeing the new cards, was that they gave a very clear direction as to what aggression as an aspect was, which kind of took me aback. And you didn't, you didn't, you were kind of skeptical about it until I said, no, no, he says it spot on in those ways which is that aggression is a is a aspect of and i quote direct action they have a plan they want the easiest and most direct avenue to accomplishing that plan it's a it's an um it's going to be a uh an aspect that has a lot of overwhelm a lot of saboteur 
to sort of circumvent whatever guards they're putting up. But here's the one that shocked me the most, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Card draw. Card draw is going to be a a um, an aggression aspect sort of specialty. And when you hear red or aggro, card draw is typically not what is attributed to it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We've I think of like Magic the Gathering right off the bat with this where, uh, you know, red does have a good amount of card draw, but it always comes at a cost, right? It's always some sort of conditional card draw. And I think red decks, uh, you know, in, and when I say red decks, I mean basically every aggressive archetype in every card game because they usually trend towards the color red. Um, you know, you need some gas because you're usually playing more cards in a turn than than other colors. Things tend to be cheaper. Things tend to just be get in there, get some damage done, you know, the card is gone. So, yeah, I mean, you got to be careful, obviously, to give, you know, aggressive archetypes ramp or, uh, you know, gas, I should say, card draw. But uh, but I'm not super surprised to see it. I'm I'm surprised it's being labeled as a main part of the aspect. But, hey, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of how it all gets incorporated. I'm not surprised at all. I actually think that this game is going to buck your pre- conceptions about the aggressive art types just because the inherent core game mechanics for this means that uh, an aggressive deck wasn't likely gonna lose to attrition anyway in my opinion hmm. it'll lose to being locked out but i don't think it'll lose to straight attrition because you also have to remember this is a game where you get to draw two cards per turn anyway and if you're playing an aggressive low to the ground deck, you're probably done playing your resources at the top of a curve that's going to be like five or six. And then you're just getting two cards a turn anyway. So them getting an extra card or two per turn is really only going to provide them with options as opposed to like more gas to fight attrition. And when you think about options, if the identity for this is supposed to be they have a a plan and they want to execute it it's just that aggression's plan is straightforward i think that it makes sense like when you think about the aspect identity uh, aggression drawing cards to have you know options to execute your game plan is very similar to command which i think is going to be the other aspect we've already seen a bunch of card draw in that as well but that one is more filtration so i think command mm -hmm. is going to be about again having a plan and executing it but their plan is finding the big pieces and ramping to them and aggression is going to be finding the way through you and getting it done. But I think that that's where you're going to see your two card draws are aggression and command because of that identity. But I don't think that this is going to be a game where you survive the aggressive like opening until they run out of cards and then you're fine. I think that you're going to survive by locking them out with like restore units that they can't get rid of or stuff like that, where you're just out healing what they can do on any given turn. Because I don't think that, I don't think that they want this game from what I've seen uh, from the cards that, you know, have been revealed. Uh, I don't think they want any situation where players feel like they're doing nothing on their turn. It, to me, it's very apparent. They want every turn of the game, every round of the game to feel impactful and like you're having an exchange and you can't do that with no cards in hand, right? So I think that's part of the reason you start with resources in play. You draw two cards a turn. They want you to play things and have that back and forth. So I don't think true attrition is going to be a thing for this game. Very often anyway. Not impossible, but I don't think it'll be very often. That's why the, I, I, am, I, it's hard to, again, it's hard to, to pass any kind of initial judgments on what the strongest aspects are going to be or, or such. But it's hard for me not to see 
a trend like you mentioned being bucked like aggro in most other decks is usually they starve for cards and it's hard for them that's why some of the best aggro decks in hearthstone were always warlock merely because you're able to just turn your life total into an additional card every turn which you need because you're you're going so heavy and so fast in this case if you're playing you know rdw you're playing red deck wins and you're already drawing two but you also have by means of that particular ideology associated with that aspect being additional card draw i i don't want to co go come out here and say that this aspect is going to be the strongest aspect because we haven't seen some others and we don't know all the cards yet but my initial impressions and i'm i'm going to be very careful how i say this i feel like red is going to be probably in every in every tier one list i think that aggression is wow. going to be sprinkled in pretty much every as soon as you get to card draw and direct damage like it, it seems to be over here i mean let's be real like you have removal and card draw built into one aspect how can you not get around that like just the single digit or the single point click kind of potential damage delete kind of stuff it's nasty and as we see some of the cards that we're going to get i mean the other aspect of this is that it kind of leads me to believe that this is, again, everything is still points to me that this is going to be a best two out of three competitive format. Yeah, I mean, uh, just based on like the, the game length of the starter deck games I played, it seems like you could fit a best of three into your standard, what, like 45 minutes to an hour for most things. So that wouldn't surprise me. With the with Red, though, I will say, as someone who's played Red in Magic for many, basically since the 90s and like aggressive decks, that's, that's kind of my thing. Like a, a deck that runs out of cards is probably either a poorly played or poorly constructed deck. So it's, uh, it, I, I think that uh, that should be thought of too where if you're you shouldn't be running out of cards if you're playing aggro if you're if you're doing it right you know not unless you get completely just stomped out into oblivion by like the most annoying control deck in the world you should ha always have something to do yeah i don't like that hmm. play blue don't you yeah. <laughs> i uh i just I don't like that one bit <laughs> i was playing some domain ramp today which is oh. basically once you stabilize once you get your seven lands on the board you are pretty much winning that game okay so real real quick i'm trying to think of like what other red cards we've seen that have included card draw and i think the only one so far has been that ship that gives you card draw conditionally if you have the initiative token initiative yeah yeah so we haven't seen a lot yet but i mean there's so many cards that we haven't seen yet so it's plenty of room to include it yeah i'm just going by again by what they said about how red is going to be uh, aggression is going to have card draw as sort of part of the it. flavor yeah and yeah. I trust them, and that's where we're going to go. <laughs> they did make the game, so you'd think they would know. <laughs> what do they know? What do they know? <laughs> um, next thing, a little piece of information, is that there was a leaked... Uh, I say leaked. I mean, it's part of... Um, I forgot what where this is from. I want to credit this, and I apologize, because I'm not sure the best credit I can give this to is at the Holocron Card Hub through, I'm guessing, I think that's Instagram or TikTok yeah. or something. I don't know. Looks like... I think that... I think it's Graham, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a social media. Same. It says remix, so it's got to be so it's TikTok, right? Oh, so it's a DJ Khaled special. Okay, <laughs> with the remix. So it's uh no, this looks like Instagram at the Holocon Card Hub on Instagram. Uh, this, We're all this such is, boomers. I don't think uh, this is. Excuse me, gentlemen. This is a YouTube short. Oh yeah, actually. I see the YouTube logo up in the top by subscriptions. 
You're such a boomer, Flake. I can't believe I, you got that wa- what wrong. What the hell wow. do I know, man? It's a, it's a, literally, it's a Christmas miracle every week that I upload this stuff properly. So. Bro, do you even Vine? I that, that was the, that <laughs> was the supposed to be Vine. <laughs> yeah, everybody's talking about TikToks and whatever, dude. We were on the Vine train for like a solid three weeks. It was great. We'll have to talk about this on uh, on uh, MSN Instant, Instant Messenger later. <laughs> ICQ yeah. for sure. Uh oh. Uh, my last time name was EOBD for sure because I was the <laughs> oh. emo teenager. Okay. We'll talk about that later. We have so I can't much... wait to hear more about this. This but... is this is yeah. why we need. By the way, like. We we have received multiple requests about a Patreon and wanting to support us, which we sincerely appreciate, obviously. And we will one day get to that, um, probably when the game releases. We don't want to take your money if we're not giving value to it and such. But part of what we can do is maybe talk about all this other nonsense and put it behind the Patreon exclusive uh, accessibility if people want to hear us talking about our ICQ names. There you go. We, yeah, that's content. A boomer segment locked behind some sort of interface that none of the boomers will know how to navigate. <laughs> MIRC, yeah. IRC, man. Remember that chat platform? <laughs> oh, of course. Well, didn't they call something a boomer in like episode one or something? You know, wasn't that, that like a. Boomas. They were like the. Yeah. They were like, I think boomas are the type of like that, those like spheres. like of, Yeah, the big blue sphere things. Yeah. yeah. Those are so boomas. So we could have a the boomer section where we could do. There, the, there's our Star Wars tie in. You're, you're welcome. Perfect. Thank you. The, the yeah. boomer ball. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The Boomer the Arena. Boom. That's the Bada Boomer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what was leaked here or that was shared was a um, kind of like a roadmap, a, pro- a product roadmap. And we're mm-hmm. going to dig into this a lot heavier, but I just want to give people the information. That's going to be part of a bigger chunk of the conversation that we're going to have on this episode. But March, Spark of Rebellion, we already know that, March 8th. July, Shadows of the Galaxy. And then in November, Ooh. Twilight of the Republic. So don't get too deep into this because that's we'll, we'll get into that after we talk about the spoilers. But three sets a, a year, and that's what we're getting for 2024. Nice to know. Bravo. Bravo, by the way, to not like load a billion sets into a single year. Because one of, one of the things, this reminds me of like uh, one of my favorite things that James White in Flesh and Blood has ever said. When people ask him, why don't they release more expansions per year? He said something to the effect of, well, then the players wouldn't get enough time with them. And I'm like, yes, that's it sounds so obvious, but it's true. So many other companies right now in the card game space uh, like to release content, uh, you know, every every other day, it seems like. And you just never get time to, to really uh, learn the set, appreciate it. Uh, break it, you know. So I, I'm, I'm glad that it looks like there's a, a, a good, steady pace of releases that's going to give players plenty of time to, you know, learn the sets and learn the best decks and make tweaks and have the meta actually shift because that's a ton of fun from a competitive side. So I was really happy when I saw this. I just wanted to point out for folks who are listening and maybe are unable to see the graphic, like uh, I'm assuming Flake will put this up for the YouTube video. The graphic does also have a section for 2025 with the mm-hmm. same three slots. Now, yeah. no set names, just as redacted. But this also, I would think, leads us to believe that they're going to continue this nice like three sets per year thing, which, uh, again, is wonderful to give you time with each of the sets so that you can enjoy them. Also sh- shows me that they're thinking ahead. So I dig it. Beauty. Yeah. And uh, at the bottom right of that, picture is daddy schaefer see it yeah i believe that uh that does look like him in the standard cross-legged uh 
pensive oh, daddy yeah. Schaefer stare. Yes, that is him. I, I thought that it was Killian Murphy but... hot off his Oppenheimer filming, but I guess that could be <laughs> coming in for his next project. <laughs> All right. Let's... He loves Star Wars Unlimited. Let's talk yeah. about card spoilers, friends. We got a bunch of them, some really great ones, but we're going to start off with Tarkin Town. Let's go to Tarkin Town. So Tarkin Town on Lothal is a 25 health base. It is of the aspect of aggression. It has the as uh, the epic action of deal three damage to a damaged non-leader unit. Um, so this fills in the aggression aspect, and it's kind of relatively universal. It, it doesn't really have like a very specific or thematic thing. It's merely just built in you get this and you can deal three damage to something so this is a good way to sort of finish off a damaged unit whenever you need it to have it into your back pocket uh i like it i think it's all right it, it feels thematic it wants to deal damage that's what i figured the the aggression base would do yeah i like cards like this because it uh it its value is very reliant on the skill of the player right um and keep in mind this can damage ground or space units it doesn't specify you know one arena or the other it's, it's just a unit non-leader unit um and you are giving up five health uh from the 30 base health base health to run it um and so you could have games where if you don't know how to use this correctly you could get zero value out of it so essentially you're paying a five life tax for nothing uh there are other games where picking off a unit uh at the perfect time could win you the game or help swing things in your favor so this is going to be a, a very skill-based location to play um if you you gotta really hit the right time to do it because an epic action as we know means you can only do it once per game so uh, I, I like this. I like where it's a strong effect, but you really need to use it correctly to have it worth the five life tax. I really enjoy this. And if I'm being honest, all of the locations we've seen so far, because just the presence of that location starting on the board also means your opponent has to always keep it in mind. So, mm -hmm. you know, Eric is right. There is definitely situations where you might play an entire game and never activate this. But that also doesn't mean that it's not doing some heavy work because your opponent might just be stuck in awkward positions trying to play around it for the entirety of the game, right? Just like uh, with the blue location with the shields, uh, if you're trying to play around the ambush from the command location, et cetera, et cetera. So like just this being on the table, like when you sit down, you're like, oh, now I got to you know, be mindful of any of my units if they, you know, take some damage, you know, uh, mm. is it going to be the time, right? Is this going to be the time when they use the epic action? Do I purposefully get some of my units into combat early to try to get them to waste it? Yeah. Right. That sort of thing. So I, I do think that this is definitely one of those things where the presence of it might actually be even bigger of an impact than the actual usage of it in some cases. There was, uh, I know you guys have definitely played Catan. In, there was a version of Catan that was a Star Trek Catan, where one of the leaders, basically it's the same game. Really? Yeah, Star Trek Catan. Uh, you got, it's the same game, except the, with the added layer of you choose a leader. And your leader had an ability. And one of the abilities that I, that the leader that I always selected was one that it's, if you propose a trade to your opponent and they decline it, you can use your leader ability. It's a once per game thing. We use your leader ability to force the trade. 
So wow, was it a Ferengi leader or something? No, no, no. It's all original. It was all the original uh, series oh. stuff. Oh, I okay. forgot who it was, but everybody wanted Kirk because it did cool stuff or Spock. I, I think it was like Chekhov mm. or something. And the hmm. best thing about it was that I would get, I would propose a trade that was definitely in my favor. And what I would tell them is they'd be like, no, that's a terrible trade. I said, well, accept this or I'm going to propose an even worse one and force it through. And they'd be like, "Okay," so they do it. But I would never use my leader. So it was always the threat of the leader was uh, like at a certain point, somebody eventually caught on. They're like, dude, we need to get Flake to act like just to use his leader because we're all we he've got. He already has three or four very favorable trades by threat of the of an even worse trade. But until Hmm. he does it. Somebody's going to have to fall yeah. on this sword. And that's, that's kind of how I feel this Tarkintown thing is. It's like devious. the threat of it constantly can potentially force your opponent to do some less than ideal things. You need to play games with more parents because I, let me tell you, when a child is like, hey, I want this mommy or daddy or else I'm going to throw a tantrum or whatever. It's just like, I don't negotiate with terrorists. Go ahead right like clean me out you can only do it once let's go well they didn't know that they absolutely did not know that it's much like they didn't like a lot of my friends didn't like playing board games with me because i also figured out that the best spot on the monopoly board was like the red uh the red orange corner where you because everybody everybody goes to jail and everybody rolls sevens and you're always gonna get there right so i Mm -hmm. used to down i used to make poor trades to get those two corners but then i'd always win and again they and then they stopped playing that with me so i never got to play many board games because i would figure out these greasy ways to win and then they're like wow yeah that's that's basically that's now, how i feel uh, about tarkin town now i know what not to do with you if we ever uh, if we ever hang out again play no play board games star trek Catan, regular Catan, different story because i would always get the cheap i would try to create a sheep monopoly just because it was hilarious and it never worked but i always felt like i i was just the sheep guy and i was cool being the sheep guy in space though that's a clip right there i always felt like i was a sheep guy Is it, yeah there you go okay. uh all right let's move on here and i uh, it, it was definitely a flake thing to happen where the one week that i'm not there they give you the release date and they give you han solo as a leader and a <laughs> whole bunch right. of stuff sorry yeah well just just go i already lost my opportunity so someone take the next one no, 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 you, you should you, you should do the you Millennium need to take Falcon. This one. Come on. Yeah. That's kind of what I was seeding for, so thank you for that. Oh my gosh, you played us. It was like <laughs> I a board played game. You. <laughs> you see what just happened there? Do you see? Oh, yeah, I, I see. Can't believe it. I showed weakness and then I passed. I am disgusted. It is the Millennium Falcon. It is a three drop unit in space. It is uh cunning, it is heroic as is the Millennium Falcon. But by golly, it's a piece of junk, as is printed on there. It's a 3-4 ship underworld vehicle transport. It says, this unit enters play ready. So it's good to go, as is the Millennium Falcon. It's fast enough for you. When you ready cards during your regroup phase, either pay one or return this unit uh, to her owner's hand. Um... Also, what I like about this is the wording of return this unit to her owner's hand because she's fast enough for you, old man. So they kind of kept that whole thing in there as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a legendary as well. And a lot of people are going to look at this and be like, it's a legendary two aspect, three, four. Like, okay, it comes into play ready. Like, who cares? This is one of those ships that are going to be 
busted by some better like some of the the better tier this players card is busted yeah this card is like on paper you look at the stat line and you're like okay what's so special about it i also want to say this was uh, revealed by wargamer.com so thank you for that but yeah uh the millennium falcon man i i when i was visualizing what the millennium falcon was going to look like and what the design space was going to be i thought it was going to be something like a four four or a four five and um but I thought it was going to be something that was going to do some really funky stuff. And I'm glad that this is the design. Hmm. I'm just, uh, the one thing that I noticed is, is that radar dish, the sequel trilogy radar no, dish? The radar dish from the sequel trilogy is more rectangular. Okay. So this is pre losing it in the second Death Star. I thought, I thought in episode nine, it had the circle one. Maybe it, re- it got it back again, but... Yeah, probably got it back again because somebody wasn't paying attention to continuity. It was episode nine. Yeah, oh, it yeah, had okay. a circular... That's what made me think it was a sequel <laughs> one. And then I was like, well, wait, wasn't the... Yeah. The sensor array from episode nine was circular again? Did yeah. it lose it like a, for a second time? Maybe it lost it for a second time. It's possible, but it was rectangular in uh, The Force Awakens, which I thought was cool because it's like... You could just put a circular one back on there, but by putting a rectangular one, you're reminding mm. people that it lost it, you know, so many years ago. So I thought that was a, I thought that was a, a really good artistic choice. But mm. this one is um, it's circular, baby. The original the original did have a circular one too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what do we? We had to get that sorted out. What do we, what do we? Uh, what do we like yeah. about this? Uh, like, again, I'm not a deck builder. But I know this that this card is good. Yeah. So talk oh, to all us. Right. So let me good. talk to you from a, a deck building standpoint and why this card is good. This card, if you have ever played like Magic the Gathering and you have had a reusable damage source, um, this is going to be a, a, a callback to people my age. But like Hammer of a Garden is what comes to mind, right? Huh. A oh, yeah. reusable <laughs> three damage source. Now, this one is on a body, right? So that, like that's the peril here is that you're going to have to keep it alive so that you can keep reusing it. But the idea is you're going to pay three to deal three damage every turn. And you can do that to the base because it's going to enter play ready if they don't have an answer. Like you play it, then they have to answer or you get three damage in, right? Uh, You can use this to crash into an opposing unit. And then when this comes back to your hand, like, oh, the Millennium Falcon healed because I'm going to replay it next turn. And even if you play it once, right, and then it comes back to your hand, you might not play it again for two or three turns. But again, just like with the base, there is the threat of it. Your opponent now has to play around it. They know you have a Falcon. What do I, you know, navigate my turn? It, it's just a really powerful effect because you continue to can like you can do it over and over and over again, but you can also pay. So in situations where your opponent's just like, well, I'm not going to try to kill the Millennium Falcon this turn because like I want him to continue to pay three for it, for example. Right. Well, then I'll just pay the one at the end of the turn to keep it on the board until you try to get rid of it. And then I can do something and then have it come back. Right. Like this is all about baiting your opponent. It's so perfect for the cunning aspect, uh, but it just, you know, three, four stat line doesn't seem like a lot because, you know, it's not like a premier stat line, but it's the sheer fact of, you're going to continue to do this over and over again. And then the worst part is, is like when you do finally get rid of it, you can run multiples in your deck. So you might just run into Falcon number two after that. So 
there there's just a lot of utility in this that it might not seem readily apparent, but the ability to play this, get value out of it, and then sneak it back to your hand so that you can, you know, play it in an opportune time is, is a really big deal. Yeah, keep in mind, too, that uh, Han, Solo, Han Solo's ability, leader ability, pays for it if it does stay on the board, essentially, because he get, lets you get that temporary resource, you know, for the turn. So yeah. the Millennium Falcon sticks around, that's fine, pay a resource, because Han Solo is going to give you another one to use anyway during that turn. So, yeah, if you've got Han Solo as your leader, this thing is essentially free if it does stick around. If not, you know, yeah, you can just bring it back to your hand to get a little bit of damage off it, too. So very versatile card. Very scary, I think, when anything in this game enters play ready. That's a threat that needs immediate an immediate answer from your opponent, or they're going to you know, be hurting with it. So, yeah, it just seems really good. I mean, it's a legendary card, too. We should bring that up as well if we haven't already. It's, it is yeah. legendary, so you expect it to have some pretty strong abilities, and I think this definitely qualifies. I, I really like this card. Who Next up, who wants to grab the, the little addendum to our wonderful ship? Um, I'll, I'll do it. Sure. We've got the, uh, the cunning card costs one smuggling compartment, uh, attached to a vehicle unit, attached unit gains on attack, ready a resource. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, again, it, it seems like you've got little resource shenanigans with, uh, with Han Solo that we've seen as a leader, right? Let's see, get that, that temporary one. This lets you ready another resource. So it, it feels like there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going on with, resource manipulation and cunning so this is another kind of cool thing with that and it's a one one upgrade for you know one of your vehicles maybe even the millennium falcon making it a uh you know five four seems pretty strong especially if you have on if you plan on having it stick around for a little bit so yeah it's a it's an uncommon card i think it's probably pretty good i could see situations where you would run this in your deck yeah seems pretty good i, I like it because it is one aspect Right. So if you're running it in a cunning, very cheap, very effective, uh, but I also like it because it's pseudo free. So you pay your one to put it on something. And then assuming that whatever you put it on lives through your opponent's next action, if you attack with it, you get to ready a resource. You can just ready the one resource you just used to pay for this. Right. Yeah. So the turn you play it, it's like pseudo free. And while it's not direct ramp in terms of, like I can play more expensive units sooner than what I could. It is a a resource extension in that, you know, I might be able to spend, you know, seven resources on a turn where I have six on the board because I got to play something for three and then attack, ready a resource, play something for four. So it does still allow you to kind of like extend your power gap quite a bit. Yeah. Um, if you, uh, I'm trying to look at the other cunning cards now. You'd kind of combine this here. If you put it on Fett's Fire Spray, then uh, you know when you attack with it, you can uh, you can ready a resource like we just saw. And then if you've got Boba Fett on the ground there when he's attacking people, you're readying more resources. So there's a lot of you know, like I was saying, there's a lot of funky things you can do with resources with the cards we've seen so far. So that's going to be it's. And again, this this adds another layer of complexity to how you play the deck too, you know, what do you play versus what do you hold in reserve to play when you get this kind of like extra resource generation? Uh, I'm, I'm really liking how like the cunning aspect is coming together as uh, the types of play styles it enables. It's, it's pretty interesting to think about this. Uh, the cunning to me is starting to seem it's like the uh, cunning is like the, the Esper control kind of uh, thing. It's, it's, it's like the Kano 
to a degree. I was going to say it's Kano. It's, it's Kano. sequencing. Yeah. It's yeah. all sequencing. It's mm-hmm. it's Kato. This is going to be the skill ceiling um skill ceiling aspect of, like uh, i can see that beginners might not build cunning related or cunning oriented decks because there's a lot of like you said sequencing a lot of having a, um there's so many different gears that need to connect in order to get the the machine rolling properly but in the right hands a cunning deck can just absolutely blindside an opponent because they won't know they won't the, the beautiful the beauty about things like cunning or kano for example uh kano from flesh and blood kano's a wizard that can do all kinds of crazy stuff in the right hands. The beauty of this is that in against an unknowing opponent, they are not going to be able to evaluate your reach because they don't know what you're capable of. Much like Kano, if you're like I've played Kano matches in my early day days of Flesh and Blood where I was at thirty something health, like thirty one health of forty, and I'm like, you can't you can't even hurt my feelings. And then without knowing what the hell is going on, they blast you for thirty eight, and you're like. What the hell just happened? That's what cunning yep. to me is going to feel like. You are not going to know what hit you, and by the end of it, you're going to be left in the dust and on like amidst like the 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 remaining cinders and ashes of whatever the hell is left of your of your board, and be like, I have no clue what happened because the Millennium Falcon hit me for like two or three times. This happened, that happened. You know, I'm really keen on this, but it also intimidates the hell out of me. <laughs> It'll be a game that really reinforces the fundamentals. It'll be punishing, like you said, to people that are a little bit newer with the game. But uh, on the other hand, it's like a, it's it'll be a good way to sort of like start paying attention to some very important parts of the uh, the play flow if you want to learn how to be a competitive player quicker. So, yeah. Um, next card, Charmer. I think this card is going to be. I think that this card is going to be a powerhouse. This card is very good, in my opinion. Yeah, I was excited when I saw this. So the next card is Fighters for Freedom. This is a three-cost aggression and heroism ground unit. Has the Rebel and Trooper tags. It is a 3-4 stat line. So you're paying three for a 3-4 as long as you're in your aspects. But wait, there's more. It also has Saboteur, which I still feel like is going to be one of the premium keywords. But wait, there's more. When you play another aggression card, you may deal one damage to a base. Now, there's a lot to like here. One, this is not a unique card. You can have multiple of these on the field. It is a 3-4 stat line for three, which is very solid. And on top of that, it has Saboteur, so it can likely get in, get that damage on the base as well. If you play this and then you can follow it up with a second one and then you just machine gun down a bunch of weenies, you can absolutely get a ton of damage in very, very quickly on somebody's base. Now, it might not matter here for set one, but the other thing that jumped out to me that I'm going to keep an eye on uh, for the future, for future design space, is this does say you may deal one damage to a base, not an enemy base. And so if we ever have at some point mechanics that care about whether or not you've taken damage to your base this turn maybe it activates something uh, a keyword or an effect Mm -hmm. this might be a way to cheat that in the future so uh, again i don't suspect that'll be something we see uh set one but as the game matures kind of keep an eye out for stuff like that because that's a very deliberate wording to not say enemy base yeah i mean it keeps the design space open right for uh, and I, i like that when early set cards in the card game you know appear to have sort of like evergreen applications right they can always come back to it and make it useful with other things in a future set so that is neat Uh, otherwise my take on it is 
pretty much the same as yours. I mean, it's a three for three four. It's got great abilities. It's an uncommon like. What's uh what's what's not to like? It is dual aspect. It is aggression and heroism. So that does limit it a little bit as far as deck construction goes. Um, but uh, you know, if you're gonna be playing a heroism aggression deck, I think it's gonna be hard to hard to not put it in. Uh, this has pack one, pick one potential all over for it for draft. Anytime that you can keep a, a hefty body on the board in a, in a in an environment where removal is gonna be at a premium, you can just leave it there, protect it and then drop red cards and eventually whittle your opponent down. The fact that it has Saboteur on this, I'd play this card without Saboteur. I'd play this card without the other game text too. Like, it's hmm. just... Obviously, the, the game text on it of every time you play an aggression card, deal one damage to your enemy base, it's just free, it's free damage. It's free, unpreventable damage. It's incredible what this card can do. And like you said, you just jam three of these. Put three of these in your deck, in your aggression deck, and just whittle away at your opponent. Imagine imagine an environment where you have all three on the board and you're just like, drop a two drop, drop a two drop, drop a three drop, you just took nine damage. And I and I haven't even swung yet. Like, it's incredible. And you just circumvent their, their sentinel. This thing is going to be uh, public enemy number one against any type of deck that is worried about aggro. Like, you have a, a card that deals four damage, you might hold on to it because you're anticipating this card. Like, that's the kind of level of uh, annoyance this would be. This is probably one of the my favorite uncommons that have been printed so far. I would agree. Easy peasy. I like it. Mm -hmm. Let's move on with aggression. We're finally going up in space. It's a three-drop, just an aggression aspect. It is a space unit called the Disabling Fang Fighter. Uh, it's a Mandalorian vehicle fighter. Comes in with a three-power, two-body. When played, you may defeat an upgrade. I think we're finally seeing some of those potential sideboard hero cards. But at the same time, this is 100% a meta-dependent card. So if, there's, uh, if, if the rule set do not support sideboarding, then this card is going to be in your binder until upgrades become exceptionally prominent. If, it, if, if the game is in a meta where people run a lot of important upgrades and I've seen a lot of important upgrades, then this card is going to be pretty important. I, the thing about it is that for three cost, a three, two, that's like just an X wing or a tie fighter. So it comes, it's a tie fighter with upside, I suppose. But yeah, um, I think that this is just, it's so, so unless, you know, upgrades are obviously going to be running the show. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's another one of those cards where, like, we need to see more to assess its true value. And, and you know, maybe we need to see, you know, like, more sets down the road to really understand it. Because, I mean, this is one of those cards, too, where it's like, maybe the keywords start to matter later. You know, like, eventually when you can do a Mandalorian tribal deck at some point, you know, which I would, I would imagine we can. There's enough Mandalorians in Star Wars now where you can probably release them over, you know, some period of time in the future. And so, if this ship if the keyword matters then you can include it in that otherwise yeah i think it's uh you know if there's no sideboard then i think you just kind of have it hang out unless you really really need to worry about upgrades in a in a competitive game otherwise you know it is a, a situational card but it's got cool art i really like that ship that's one of my favorite ship designs in star wars actually now it's pretty cool yeah the way it kind of rotates and all that mm -hmm. it's neat i would just like to point out this card is a common and does have, I think, more upside in limited. I could easily see this being the sort of thing that you would pick in the middle of a pack, just because 
It is single aspect, so it's very easy to splash. 3-2 isn't great, but it's not terrible, and it starts to feel a whole lot better if you do actually snipe and upgrade, right? We haven't seen a lot of other ways to deal with upgrades other than just dealing with the unit that it's attached to. So I could see in draft, you know, picking one of these up as like an insurance policy and then just running it because, again, there's... the Again, the beauty is there's kind of an incentive to run some of these toolbox cards as well because on the off chance that you're playing against a deck even in constructed where you might not expect them to play a bunch of upgrades well then you just resource this one yeah yeah that's that is true you can always resource a card too but i mean it, it would feel amazing and limited if uh, your opponent happened to grab like a, a luke's lightsaber or vader's lightsaber and this comes along and just shoots it out of their hand you know yeah yeah just yeah, again, just putting this into perspective of like just witnessing this happening. It's like Luke's just there. He gets in the Wampa Cave. He's like hanging upside down. He gets the lightsaber. He's like, aha. And then a ship just whoop, <laughs> swoops in like Bad a luck. seagull and snipes it out of his hand. <laughs> uh, that could be Flake, cool. Flake just wants to let the Wampa win. He wants the Wampa to win because of I, the podcast name. I, I understand. Yeah. I was imagining some Jedi trying to pull like some Ahsoka stuff or whatever, where they're like out on oh, uh, a, a cliff yeah. or on the wing of something. And then this fighter's coming and they're like, all right, I'm going to, you know, block this blaster bolt from a ship. And instead it just sends their lightsaber flying like you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Apparently that's a thing you can do. Yep. Okay. Doa hit us with the big boy. Uh, all right. I mean, I'm glad I get to do this one because I, I, you know, do like the more aggressive archetypes. So uh, here we have the actual legendary aspect card aggression cost four, like the other uh, aspect cards we've seen so far. Uh, double uh, aggression aspect, obviously, because it is the, the marquee card for that aspect and choose two in any order, as we've seen again in the other aspect cards. Draw a card, defeat up to two upgrades, ready a unit with three or less power or deal four damage to a unit. So kind of a, a smorgasbord, if you will, of, uh, you know, strong aggression type abilities. Kind of everything they said that, uh, you know, this aspect would have wrapped into a card that has a, a pretty cool piece of art too. And and, an, and a sequel piece of art even. That's, that's Kylo Ren there. So it's interesting that we've seen, because now we had prequel Anakin on the Vigilance one. And we have mm -hmm. sequel, you know, Kylo Ren on this one. So it appears that the aspect cards aren't necessarily bound by the the um, era that we seem to kind of be in for the most part with this first set, which is the um, I don't know what they call the the era officially, but the one from basically like like a you know Rebels Rogue One through Jedi. It seems like is where like the majority the of the cards we've seen Skywalker from. Saga or something like that. Well, that's all nine, I guess. But there yeah. there is a term for this. Um, Three point five through six. That's Basically, the way I describe yeah. it, because it's like yeah. Rogue One through Six. Mm -hmm. make, the that Imperial makes era. Sure, you could I say. think that's a good way to to say it. Yeah, the, the Imperial yeah. area uh, works for me. Uh, I will say, I I really like the art. I think this is a kind of a cool way to showcase Kylo and showcase the the hyperspace, because that's what they showed off the hyperspace version of this card. Mm -hmm. um, but to piggyback on what Doa is saying, I do think that. Because these cards are more about the aspect, I think that these cards are meant to be evergreen because they're kind of the identity of each aspect, right? So the yeah. fact that we saw prequel, now we're seeing, you know, sequel stuff, I, I think that that's by design because they want these to be like, if you're going to 
essentially invest in an aspect like this is your payoff and that's going to be an evergreen decision because all of these are very powerful and will certainly warrant you at least considering doing so to get some of these benefits because this like when i look at the options like draw a card in an aggressive deck is normally a no-brainer but i don't i don't even know if that's the one i'm most excited about here or if it's even something i'm relatively uh interested in if i'm being honest if you have the option to defeat up to two upgrades and then also deal four damage to a unit like that has the potential to be a three for one on this right uh dealing four to a unit and then readying one of your units to swing is a pretty big power play right you can clear up a sentinel and then set yourself up for more damage like the draw card is nice but i i think this also just kind of showcases the other strengths of aggression very well it's a great yeah. card. The artwork, like you mentioned, I think that up it's up there in terms of one of my favorites alongside Home One and uh, and Akbar. Oh, yeah. I thought that those yeah. were exceptional as well. I just, again, I'm so glad that they gave us the hyperspace variant of this because it looks so damn cool. And you can, you can feel the rage and the aggression within Kylo Ren in this particular artwork. But um, I'm liking where these... Uh, these cards are coming from like aggression here's the four options which are essentially just hallmarks of what their ideologies are meant to be card draw defeating stuff readying stuff dealing damage like that's what red wants to do and they give you that option um i'm so hyped to have play sets of all of these legendaries you know they're, they're just so awesome because i think that yeah. much like you know your command and conquers your e-strikes and stuff your tunic from flesh and blood these are probably cards that are going to fit in in every single deck that runs these types of uh, these types of strategies. I don't I don't ever foresee a world where these are going to be rotated out. These are going to be your staples, in my opinion. These are going to be like what you know, like two three years down the line, when somebody's like, I want to get into this game. What should I invest in? I'll be like, get your playsets of the aspects you want. Like, get your playsets of aggression legendaries. Your playsets of this. That's probably the the starting point, in my opinion. I think that's where we're going to get with this. You know, I I actually have a little bit different take on that when I look at these aspect cards because they are a dual aspect. Um, and so I've always kind of seen these, uh, and I, I'm seeing it more and more as we, you know, this is the third one we've seen now, uh, that this is more sort of, uh, you know, a an insurance package if you're running mono red, right? If you're running a dual red aspect, uh, you're going to need cards like this that are very, very powerful to make up for what you're not able to include because you're missing those other aspects, you know? So you're because you're less versatile... As a deck, you get these really, really powerful cards that buff your specific mission. So I kind of see these as sort of like not something you'd really play a lot unless you were running, you know, mono aspect. Um, so that's that's what I suspect we're going to see a little bit of is that these are more sort of like insurance cards. If you decide to run the mono aspect, um, and when I say mono aspect, I mean it's it's always going to be heroism or villainy, right? Well, based on what we've seen anyway. Um, and then, you know, another aspect or two besides that, right? So if you choose uh, heroism, aggression, and then aggression for your base, then you're essentially running mono red heroism, right? Anyway, that's the terminology I've been hearing some people say. But uh, so this is kind of insurance for like, if you're going to run this, you get this extra benefit from running this card. That's how I kind of look at the aspect cards now. I think it depends on the aspect card because there are some of these that when I see them, I feel like I would pay the tax anyway. Like vigilance really stands out to me as one where even if I'm, you know, tricolor or, or not mono blue, if I'm playing a control deck, the vigilance card still might be worth a slot. 
I was thinking it, maybe it with the feels... command one too, because you get ramp, so you can maybe yeah. afford yeah. that tax a little bit easier. So, so like that, there that's are the interesting sure. part, right? Like you yeah. know, yeah, you you want that payoff, but also like I might just pay the tax for these. These are pretty good. I wonder. I I wonder. I still suspect for the most part we're gonna see them only only in mono, or maybe you run like one of them. You know, one out of the three, but. Uh, but I, I am curious. I, I don't think we're really going to know until we start to see people build a lot of decks with it. Like, I think that aggression for the for the aggression one, I'd probably only play it if I was running dual red, because I think for what you want to do, go fast and hard, you'd, you'd want, you don't want to pay six for this. I feel it's too late. However, for like you saying the vigilance one, the vigilance one was also the one that like mills your opponent, right? And yes. And mm. that's the, for me, I'm like, I'm okay with that because I'm guessing that my win condition isn't to beat my opponent in five turns i'm thinking my win condition is the is the long grind so by the time that we get to the point where that card i could i could be patient with it in which case i can probably do it when i have 10 resources on the board and i can i can afford to pay through it so i don't need double vigilance but for aggression based on the, the strategy i think you have to run dual red yeah, if you're looking for yeah. a reminder, oh, yeah. the uh, choices for Vigilance were discard six cards from an opponent's deck, heal five damage from a base, defeat a unit with three or less remaining HP, or give a shield token to a unit. So yeah. when when I'm thinking about like a grind-you-out control-style deck, I, I would pay the tax for that easily. easily. I think so, too. But you're... You'd probably run command with that too. I feel like green is what would pair well with... Uh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking... Strategy. You would so do that like, would lend itself to that, yeah heroism vigilance command so you have like all of the restore options right the yodas the akbars whatever mm -hmm. and then you just pay the tax and again worst case scenario if you draw it early and it's not useful or whatever then you just resource it yeah it's fine yeah. yeah i love it all right let's go to the best card that has ever been printed in the history of card games within the sphere of this podcast charmer <laughs> is a founding as a founding wampa hit us with it we got the wampa like that's yes! that's just that's the card wampa so we this did is it. a four cost aggression unit on the ground so solo aspect it is a four five creature that's the only tag but it has overwhelm now i'm very happy with the art i think that the art turned out great the other thing i was really mm. happy about gentlemen is that it is not a unique card. It is just Wampa. You can have up to three of these on the board. So if you are listening, if you ever get all three Wampas in play, you have played all members of the Wampa radio. I need <laughs> to play three Wampas in my deck and alter them so that one is Doa, one is Flake, and one is me. That's a great idea. Because that is that is going to be my goal i want to get all three of us on the board at some point that's what i was really excited about i was like yeah it's not unique i can play us all i will say this if anybody ever approaches me with a wampa and asks for me to sign it i am putting gigantically thick thick rimmed glasses on them and then i'll sign my name that's how you know it was me <laughs> that's how you know it was me uh anyone else getting chill wind Yeti? we uh, chill wind yeti vibes off this obviously oh, yeah like any hearthstone player is gonna be like wait a yeti that's four for four five huh i've seen this somewhere before it is literally the stat line of chill wind yeti from uh from hearthstone from way way back when uh so may maybe a little bit of a nod to i don't know but maybe a little bit of a nod to that game and and the strength of that card, because that was a great staple, just a, a strong beat stick for many, many years in that game. 
or at least the first few years anyway, but uh, this one has the added benefit of Overwhelm. So if you do more damage than you need to to take something out, you get a little bit of damage to the base too. So this is like a slightly upgraded version of the of the Chillwind Yeti, I would say, which is which is neat to see. But yeah, nice little throwback. I, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. Nothing was more terrifying than Coin Innervate Chillwind Yeti turn oh. one, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. all right, now I yeah. got to deal with this mofo. Um, yep. The, that card, by the way, absolutely iconic to to Hearthstone for so long. It was essentially the baseline. Uh, this being a four, a four cost four five with overwhelm. It has overwhelm in this card. This card was probably playable to a slight degree, maybe as a one one aspect four cost drop as a four five. You get overwhelm with this. I we're talking about pack one pick ones. If your uncommons and your rares are trash, this is a perfectly awesome card to draft. And I say that not just because it's a Wampa, but a 4-5 with one, a single aspect with Overwhelm built in, this thing can do some nastiness. Somebody even suggested, put Entrench on this, plus 3, plus 3, can't attack bases. Who cares? It has Overwhelm! It's angry. It's, it's upset. Don't touch its bones. Do not touch mm -hmm. the Tauntaun bones. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that. That would make it pretty, pretty freaking scary. I, I always thought the Wampas were were freaky uh, creatures too in Star Wars because they, you know, they they've got the big toothy mouth, but also those like giant like dead black eyes too. You know, where it's like giant like pure black eyes can be cute in some situations. Um, think like uh, you know the Poros from League of Legends or something like that. But then when you put it with a giant toothy mouth and big claws and all that, it gets really scary. So I always thought the Wampas were a particularly unsettling creature in the Star Wars universe. So I, I like that the card gives me those kind of kind of creepy vibes too. Well done. I love it. Luke Harrington, the artist for that card. I love this card. I can't wait for the hyperspace version. Hyperspace foil version. Yeah. We all need these. And I, yeah. I, I say this. Oh, by the way, when I was uh I was in Milwaukee this past weekend casting the Battle Harden for Flesh and Blood. Somebody came up to me and said, Flake, I said, hey, nice to meet you. I'm, I, really, uh, I really love uh, what you do. I said, oh, thanks. Do you listen to Instant Speed? He said, no. He's like, I actually mean Wampa Radio. I love Wampa Radio. <laughs> oh, nice. I am, I am now at the point where I get as many um, shout-outs for Wampa Radio as I do for, for my Flesh and Blood podcast. And that's because of you guys and obviously because this game's awesome and the community's great. But I just want to say – uh, the dude's name was uh, Guy Cohen. Guy, if you're listening, uh, Guy also did very well at that tournament. I think he was first or second seed at that tournament. Second seed, I think. Wow. Uh, or, either way, he was unreal. He played really, really well. So uh, thank you, Guy, for that shout-out. But he said, he's like, and when he told me, he's like, oh, I got a, a plane to catch early in the morning, but I've got Wampa Radio downloaded, so I'm, I'm all ready to go. I'm like, that's super cool. So Nice. I mean, really, now this is sort of the, the community challenge, right? Where it's like, can you get the, the playset of foil hyperspace signed by each of the Wampa radio host Wampa set, you know? Yes. No, that's true. And it's not like yeah. I have one and we all signed one. No, no, no. You need three where we each one sign. One on it. each. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you and then you're like, oh, I'm playing. And the, the, you know what's going to happen, though? When this happens is that somebody's going to do it, they're going to have it, and then they're going to play it, and it's going to be like, 
uh, I got the flake version, and I always lose when I get the <laughs> yeah. flake wampa. And so, like, uh, dude, I'm like, That's I'm great. like, I'm four and zero oh when I get the Doa wampa, and I'm like two and two with the Charmer wampa, but Naturally. I never win when I get the flake wampa. It's like that's what's gonna happen. I want to hear those stories, though. I, I want, I, I want to hear those stories. So that's if somebody out there does it. I top, am imagining a scenario where you know it's the world championship and we're casting the finals and somebody plays you know the wampa stones it's like the infinity stones but for wampa radio <laughs> yeah. we get to see all three hit the table and uh, joyously erupt save this clip for for when it happens you know yeah. whenever however many you know years from now or whatever yeah um all right so that's all the uh that's all the 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 spoilers and stuff we're like an hour and 20 into this bad boy so <laughs> yeah we yeah we got to speed it up a little yeah, bit don't so we? yeah. we're, we're hyper here yeah okay so here's what here's what we're gonna do we're gonna talk very briefly about the roadmap because there's not much to really dig into but we can talk a little bit about the scheduling stuff then we get to the mailbag so we got a really cool question from the mailbag but the the schedule as it is right now is three sets and they're pretty they're basically every four months starting in march I kind of I think that that kind of consistency, that kind of reliability is important because what that also does is it means that they're able to schedule reliably the tournament scene to be like, mm -hmm. hey, March happens um, a month or six weeks after that is like our first major tournament gives people the opportunity to get the cards, learn the meta practice, play in some regionals and stuff like that. And then boom, you have like the big stuff happening. And then then there's like the qualifiers. And then once that happens bang new set new big tournament sequence scene and then for the record the next last one comes out in november that leads me to believe that their world championships are going to be like first week of december first week of december kind of stuff hmm. yeah you like yeah. you release the set like early november and then you you know have three yeah. to four weeks mm -hmm. to get your hands on the set playing the world championship i dig it yeah i like it you have a, or you have a set release and then you have like a little qualifier season and then you have a big tournament at the end of it, you know, shortly before, and then you use the tournament as a way to kind of hype up the incoming set, you know? I am Partially. always a fan <laughs> of the best test for people's metal when it comes to these kinds of things are, you know, like release the set and not, don't give them like two or three months with a set to play around with it. It's like, you got four weeks. You want to show you're the best? Go innovate, go prepare, make it happen. And I, I really like that. Like in Flesh and Blood, for example, there's going to be the next sort of uh, ban and restricted announcement with the new Living Legend sort of hero rotation happens like a couple weeks before Worlds. And while everybody's anticipating Lexi to rotate out, they're they're sort of also need to factor in like what if it doesn't happen but what if it does what if this hero pops off so i really like the the fact that there's a there's a solidified schedule that they can adhere to and it's one of those things where us as consumers us as players content creators you know whatever it is like it, we have that kind of thing to look forward to we can plan these kinds of things one of the hardest things as a flesh and blood fan earlier on in like years one and two was just having no bloody idea what their schedule was, what their, what the structure was. And it was, it, I mean, from our standpoint as like, as casters, it's hard for us because we don't know what to plan around, but I mean, we're, we're a minute percentage of people within that scope, but just as people who are like, I don't like people were not knowing what the hell that was happening. I was just going to say, I think that it's important, not just for us for casting reasons, but when you're thinking about players, right? If you are expecting people to travel 
having some sort of even just remote window of like, all right, I might need to take, you know, these weeks off or, you know, one of these weekends off or whatever from work. That's better than not knowing at all what's going to be coming, right? Like, at least you'll have some Mm -hmm. sort of estimation, because I do think that one of the things that is often glossed over is allowing people the ability to get time off of work because we're in the United States. Well, you know, Doa and I are in the United States where uh, a lot of us, you know, we have to request time off from work and get it approved and jump through hoops. And I think that's a pretty big deal for the players. Yeah, you want to make it as uh, you, the more advanced notice you can give, the better, obviously, for everybody. You know, that's it's better for, you know, vendors who want to participate. It's better for, you know, if you want artists to be there, obviously, like, uh, you know, the more, you know, in advance, the better you can schedule like that's yeah, that that is obvious. So we hopefully we have a, a roadmap for that kind of thing sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, around the time the game comes out or something like that, you know. It's going to be nice. Yeah. Plus, you made the point earlier, Doa, about the fact that, you know, like Wizards of the Coast are dropping what makes us feel like we're in perma pre like perma reveal season like spoiler season is just a, an, yeah. a, an everyday season thing started during covid and hasn't stopped as far as i'm concerned it's, it's i i mean i didn't mention wizard of the coast that that was you i just said some card game companies you know but uh but if you want to call them out sure that that's fine oh, but, i'll call them out no you're, to- you're totally right you're totally right but yeah and i mean it is it is fatiguing right um, it's fatiguing from a player perspective because you just feel like you never really get to know the cards you're playing until you have to start thinking about putting new cards in whatever you're playing. It's fatiguing like financially. Um, you know, sure, there's plenty of people out there that, you know, have the income to, you know, buy a billion boxes of everything, get what they need immediately. But uh, I would say there's vastly more players that, you know, can't spend infinity money on card games every month, right? So when you're throwing this much product at them, you feel like you're just not allowed to participate in the, the hobby that you like because you just can't afford it, you know? You have to be responsible and pay rent instead, right? So yeah, it's I think this release cadence, like like I said earlier, is 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 very good. I think this is kind of the ideal release cadence for a card game. There's one scary aspect to this of a four month sort of separation between release sets. If you release a set and the meta is solved within a few weeks and it is not particularly a fun one, it's not particularly a diverse one, you are essentially married into that environment for a long time what are you shaking your head at i disagree i think that this is beautiful if you say all right we have a set release every four months and then every four months but coinciding in the middle points Uh, three times a year is our you know banned or suspended announcements so you get two months and then you get the round of adjustments and then you get two months with adjustments before a new set hits the pool Mm -hmm. i think having something like this also gives you the perfect timing or those kind of adjustments personally under the uh, that's under the impre- or sundry under the assumption that they are going to have a banned slash restricted slash suspended list or whatever which you have to i think that that's just comes part yeah what card game doesn't that's like i'm a good trying question. to think of one that doesn't maybe like what Yu-Gi-Oh? Uh, did they ever i don't know yeah they definitely do yeah. they, okay I, I don't know anything about Yu-Gi-Oh. that's i know all the other card games i've ever played have had you know some sort I, of restricted at least i don't think pokemon do. does i could be wrong there maybe it's just because there's nothing think, currently maybe they well, do. they have a rotation but i don't think i was I gonna know. say they have rotations i don't know if they've been in suspended stuff the only one that i'm unsure of is i don't know if redemption has one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i i don't think uh 
I, I don't think uh, I've ever heard of uh, any any parts of that being banned. Like, know? I think it'd be really the weird if, like, Moses got but, banned you know. or something, you know? <laughs> okay. Right. So no I, Red Sea parting for you. So the um, Pokemon does have a banned and restricted list. There's, I figured it should, yeah. There's tons within, like, the expanded, which is, I guess, the eternal format. Nothing is currently banned in, in standard, but it doesn't mean that nothing ever has wow. been. So it's possible. But, yeah, currently nothing, everything is legal and standard for... Uh, for Pokemon, but it might have been that like I just got into Pokemon like within the past three months, so I don't know. Maybe I got in just as a rotation happened, and there's nothing to ban yet. But hmm. uh, that's it. But like I would imagine that's the case, and that's a good point. That's a very good point. If they do want to inject um, some agency into it and adjustments and sort of tweaking, dialing the knobs the right way they want to to get the right frequency for what they think the meta should be, that's fair. Because I mean, we've seen it in other card games you take one card out of the pool be it a common uncommon you know it doesn't even have to be super impactful i mean we saw it in flesh and blood for a while like when uh starvo was like absolutely terrorizing the meta they took out a common out of its pool and people were like yeah this is pretty significant like it, yeah. it actually helped a yeah. lot so i mean uh bracers even recently in flesh and blood right mm-hmm. that's Big a common as well right mm-hmm. it turned uh an unbeatable deck into a uh almost unbeatable deck <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but it was relevant yeah. though like it, it was yes for sure if you're if you're aware you know if you're a design team and you're aware of what you know the true source of the the pain is uh, balance wise you know it's it's a it's you know, never only a rarer card, you know, it's, it's always just, it always just is whatever card it is, you know, it's kind of rarity agnostic as far as like what that might be, mm-hmm. you know, impact wise. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be aware of it and, you know, we'll right. see. I think every, every card game always has stuff come that comes out. That's too strong. And as long as they have a plan to deal with it, that's perfectly fine. Charmer, you know, when you, uh, you get your Sabine and you finally got the showcase version and you got it signed by the artist you got it signed by Daddy Schaefer. You got it signed by the actress who plays Sabine in Ahsoka. And then you finally get it. You get it in the mail, right? And you open it up, and you're so good. And you're on your way to your LGS to play in an event. And then you get a text message from me saying, did you see the latest ban and restricted announcement? And Sabine is on that list. What do you say? I don't say anything. I break down in tears and I cry. I can't even have a bad feeling about this. I'm just distraught and disheveled. You become bad feelings. A normal person would say, I have a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about this. Quiet. It is the Bad Feeling Mailbag, friends. Thank you so much, as always, to everybody who submits questions to the show. You can do so by emailing us at wamparadiopodcast at gmail.com or tweeting at wamparadio or a million other ways. Uh, This week, we get a question from Nathan Souter. Nathan says, first off, great show uh, to you folks at Wampa Radio. Really enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's very kind of you. Second, you all seem very excited to play the game. True. You also seem very excited at the prospect of casting for the game in the future. How do you currently balance your desire to play a game versus a desire to cast for a game? Do you forego playing in events to cast? How do you determine what to play in, what to cast for? It's, uh, it's, it's a very fascinating question, for sure, because we've all sort of had to give up playing at events to cast events and i will say this that's a good thing 
um, for us, I suppose. As much as I enjoy and love playing in events, I will always take the opportunity to cast it uh, first and foremost because that's how I pay my bills. And there's no guarantees in this industry. And I like, up. yeah, I like food and I like living indoors. It's amazing. It's incredible. Uh, so I will always take the option because I need to pay my bills and there's no contracts uh, in terms of like, we, we have no guaranteed income. We are paid by event. Uh, for the most part and for a lot of that it's just you never know when your next one's going to be so you take everyone that comes your way because you never know when that train's going to stop that said um do i ever miss it i do i i i cast flesh and blood events a lot and i am there saying damn i wish i was there playing i really wish i was there playing but at the same time i always remember that i am where i am because i love what i do and i don't want to give it up so when it comes to this particular game I'm going to play in every event that I can, and I'm going to cast every event that I'm asked. That's It's basically that, and hopefully there's a nice balance between all of them. I mean, it's, a, it's an easy answer for me. Uh, I, am a, I am a great card game player. I really am. I'm, I'm extremely good, but I'm, I was born to cast. Like, the, casting games, whether it be video or card, is what I was put on this earth to do. So, easy answer for me. I just like it more, and it's, it's what I'm better at. So, yeah. And I've done it for a living for over a decade now. So, yeah, I'm not going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm a great card game player, but I'm a better caster. You've been easy. doing it since you were 13? Yeah, right? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I hope. I wish, man. Dude, I... <laughs> I, I got pictures that were sent to me They're like, hey, remember this from 10 years ago? I was like, don't, 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 don't even, don't even. I look the same. Must be nice. Go go check it out. What? Must be nice. What? Seeing pictures from 10 years? 10 years? <laughs> yeah, except this like ring keeps whispering to me. I don't know what the deal is. Like it makes me turn invisible <laughs> and I turn it on too. So I'm, I'm getting a little bit suspicious, but I, I look good. Oh, man. How are you, Charmer? So little bit of a difference but also a lot of the same uh unlike noah i was not put on this earth to cast games uh and i'm also not a good card game player i'm just not good at either of those things however wow i i love card games i mean they've been a part of my life for <laughs> as long as i can basically remember and i know that sounds weird but like i literally learned how to count because my grandma and my grandfather let me keep score at euchre which is a card game played it very heavily here in the midwest especially yeah. here in michigan so like that's how i learned how to count to 10 and then i learned how to count like my teens because they taught me blackjack so like literally card games have been a part of my life for as long as i can remember and i do love to play them but I have just naturally in my life more opportunities to play them than I do to cast them. So if I'm ever given a choice, I always choose casting because much like you two have already said, your ability to do so, your opportunities to do so is just far more limited, right? Um, I can cast all day. And while I'm casting an event, I will say like, man, I really wish I was playing and look, the players are all having fun. But the reality is, and Flake can back me up because we've done this at Flesh and Blood events. A lot of times when we get done casting, we just go draft or we play games afterwards. We can still oh, yeah. play the game we love. So what we're really just missing out on is the big events themselves. But any excuse that I get where I can just talk about something that I absolutely am in love with and I adore and I can talk about the intricacies and the decisions and I can hype up players and tell their stories like I'm going to pick that. So I will always pick casting over playing if that is an opportunity. But much like 
you know, Flake and Doa, I also just plan on jamming a ton of games and I'm really looking forward to this. And I haven't been like this excited for a game in a long, long time before it was released. But again, I think this is largely because of my background in uh, Star Wars games and my background in similar games like Elder Scrolls Legends and Artifact, where there's a lot of similarities in play style. And those were games that I adored uh, and was really, really excited about as well. So, yeah, I'm always going to pick casting, but I'm really excited to jam some games for this. Like, I'm not, I, this is not a complaint in any way, shape, or form. I'm very lucky and, and blessed. But at the same time, like both of you, like we've worked exceptionally hard to get to the positions where we're at. And we feel very comfortable and confident that we earned these opportunities and, and we, we, we love to take them and such. But the reason why we do this uh, within this field is because we love the subject matter, which is card games. We love the culture. We love the people. We love the games. We play them. But like Doa said, like I, I feel the same way. I feel like my place is in creating the narrative and describing the game in bringing that, that extra layer to the broadcast, uh, to the presentation of the game. And I think that that's, I think we could all agree that we're not out there looking to win world championships as cool as that would be. We all feel like our place is is behind the if microphone. I am winning a world championship. It's because you didn't hire me for an event and I'm going to win it so I can be the color commentator at the next one because I will go win an event out of spite if you don't hire me. <laughs> yeah, like me that too. is yeah. that is definitely a motivation. <laughs> don't unleash this. <laughs> you don't want none of this. You want right. Team Wampa. Yeah, Team Wampa, our aspect is spite. And you best believe that we're doing triple aspect on this one. Triple they ever spite. do a team tournament, you know? Flake oh. and I played in a team tournament for oh, Flesh and Blood. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. Like, uh, yeah, I want to see some 3v3 in, uh, in this game, too. You totally could. It oh, will. absolutely. Let's, that, let's see it. That would be so cool. Oh, man, we should. Okay, we'll, we'll develop that format. The Wampa, the Wampa format. The cave brawl. <laughs> the Wampa cave, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cave brawl. Yeah, like uh, well, and uh, right. Nathan ends it, says, thanks again for the great content. Well, thank you, Nathan, immensely. Thank you very much for uh, for that. Nathan, send me uh, send me your address in via email, and I'll send you a pack of cards. But you know why? Because the person from the last time that we did a giveaway never contacted us. So oh, oof, no. somebody else gets it. That's you, Nathan. So, Nathan, reach out to me, and I'll... Uh, I'll hook you up with some uh, some goodies. And if like doesn't get the casting gig, he'll be sleeping on your couch. Pretty that's, much, uh, that's its own reward as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so look forward to that. Yeah, I've already decided that ramen is in fact a food group because I've been living on it, and it's delicious. It's got vegetables, and not the ones I get. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay <laughs> i'm just picturing flake just like biting pieces off a dry block of ramen oh yeah 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 he, he yeah. gets the uh prison commissary ramen for sure well you know that's actually in, in in south korea that's a snack where you'll you'll take like a one of those square ramen packets you'll open it up and you'll just put the powder on it and then you'll just kind of eat it like a potato chip and i and i've done that and it's actually not bad it's, it's not bad yeah good. i've yeah. done that here here's the thing i i made the prison joke because my older brother has definitely made some choices in life and he described that as prison doritos like when he was in prison oh. they would do that same thing they would buy ramen from the commissary but then they would you know kind of moisten and sprinkle the powder on them and eat them and they called those prison doritos so Interesting. that's yeah wow they don't yeah. moisten it in in korea they just uh, powder it 
and I can eat it. Good old prison Rito, some jail Ritos. Um, all right, friends. Well, that, on that note. Yeah, on that on note. On that note. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be some tier three Patreon future it's exclusives. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to Wampa Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at Wampa Radio. You can submit questions, WampaRadioPodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to me at, at WatchFlake. You got Doa at GGDOA. You've got Charmer at that charm. 3R, if you got questions, comments, subjects uh, that you'd like us to talk about, we appreciate you all. It is uh, always fun. It's good to be back. I'm glad that I'm back with you guys. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Just like the, the you know, the, the big three in Star Wars, it's, it's the most fun when the trio's together. Beauty. Awesome. All right, Charmer. Lock and load, buddy. For this week, moving onwards, hit us with it. May the force be with you. Thank you.